Hey, what is up, designers? Welcome back to the Grand Design Podcast. Today, my name is Dallas, by the way. Today, I want to tell you how one seemingly never-ending day of simmering, but not deep, but just lightly simmering frustration led to the furtherment of this epiphany that I've been talking to you all about and mulling over for the past few months, known as the power law. Okay. Before I get into that story, um, I want to talk to you about today. You know, you probably hear the ambience in the background. I always go outside for these podcast episodes so that you can hear some type of ambience. Um, it's usually in the middle of the night, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., things like that, so you can hear the ambience of the night and the crickets because I love when I'm listening to podcasts. Like there was this podcast that Russell Brunson had did when he had um, the crickets from the Idaho in summer in the background. He was taking out the trash or something like that. It was very, very beautiful. Um, but so I come down here every day so that you can hear the ambience. And hopefully you enjoy that when you're listening to these podcasts. But um, it's a different type of day today, man. It's beautiful. It's December something. I don't know the date. But it's 70 degrees, and I'm sitting out here, one of the first, well, the second morning. I'll tell you about the first in my story coming up. The first, you know, this is one of the first mornings where I'm actually up early and experiencing sunlight. And it's beautiful. Like, it looks like summer back home. These bushes right here in front of the apartment, like, are lighting up. Like, they're dark green in the center, but where the sun touches on the top, they're like a light line. You know, and it goes for all the bushes and the palm trees in this area. You know, the traffic is buzzing, the people out on the streets, people are happy, people are enjoying their time. It's a very, very beautiful scene that I'm looking at right now. The city is glowing. Um, it's approaching noon. It's about 12, 19. And so you can picture the scene. Just a, a nice, quaint, summerish day. Like you can hear it in the background, can't you? Some of the most beautiful moments of my life are just in these random, serendipitous moments where I just look at the world and I'm like, wow, like, what is this that we have at our disposal? But anyhow, like I was saying, man, today's episode, I want to talk about, you know, I want to revisit the idea of the power law. And in revisiting that idea, I want to expand upon what we've talked about in uh, the earlier cases. Um, I want to expand on that idea by telling you how diverse our applications of the power law should be and how by understanding how nothing escapes the light of the power law, we can improve our lives you know by massive degrees we can literally revolutionize the way we live just by understanding how this idea works and how it functions and so in order to demonstrate how i came about that principle i want to you know as all marketers do kind of bring you through a story so the story for me started on i believe the date was let me search for it let me search for it let me search for it loading loading December 13th okay and my girlfriend's an actress to give you some background on her this 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 day was pretty it was pretty annoying but it wasn't her fault I don't want you to get that out of the story um it was it's just the fault of me and you know sometimes I have bad days because of the variables that go into my day like diet and sleep and things like that you know it's easy for everybody to be aggravated when they're under the right circumstances and so she's an actress okay and essentially what she does as an actress is obviously she acts in films 
but the process of getting to acting in a film is submitting uh, her resume and things like that for roles on these sites where they're looking for actresses or actors. So it's basically like Indeed for actors. And she goes on all these sites and she submits for roles every day, all day. And sometimes they get back to her and sometimes they don't. But on December 13th, this was one of these days that um, another role, another another uh, film studio or agency or whatever you might want to call it, you know, got back to her and they said, it was 7 p.m. that day, 7 p.m. that night. I don't remember what we were doing all that day, probably laying around, lazing around as we usually do. And uh, but around 7 p.m. that day, a call came out of nowhere and. You know, it was one of these agencies or film studios, whatever. I don't know what they're officially called. And they were talking on the phone with her and they said, hey, look, we see you submitted on this site for the role of so-and-so. Um, and we want you to be on set. Are you available tomorrow? So this was the day of the 13th. Tomorrow would be the 14th. This was around 7 p.m., mind you. And uh, in the heat of the moment, in the rush of the call, she was like, yeah, sure. I'll be available tomorrow. I'll, I'll come through and do that. You know, I'll, I'll do that for you. And, uh, you, know, you know, so she accepted the role. Okay. So we were due to be on set at some point tomorrow. At some point on the 14th. You see, the thing about film studios or, or you, know, when, you know, the thing about the job that she does is that the schedule is kind of on the fly. It's off the cuff. You know, it's really unpredictable. Okay. They have these things, which is a schedule for when they'll show up called call sheets, you know, and call sheets come out every day to tell them what time they have to be on set. And so the thing about call sheets is call sheets are so off the cuff because you won't know what time you have to be on set tomorrow until you conclude for the current day. And the reason for that is you have to know, you know, you have to conclude for the current day to even calculate how much you want to let the actors or actresses rest and how much time you want to give them off. You can't be having people conclude at 12 p.m. or scheduling to conclude at 12 p.m. knowing good and well that it might go on to 3 a.m. and having a schedule for tomorrow at 7 a.m. okay because you know the times that they'll conclude is scheduled but it's super flexible you know they don't usually release the call sheets for the following day until the to the current day has concluded okay so if today's going on you know until this filming today has, has been completed you won't get the call sheet for tomorrow Okay, so she gets off the phone and she gets in this group chat with all the people who are coming to the set the next day. And in that group sheet, their group chat, they're supposed to release uh, the, the call sheet for tomorrow's time. And um, so after the call, we go and resume our daily life. We, you know, playing around and, you know, doing, she's probably playing, you know, The Sims on a computer or uh, studying her lines. I don't know what she was doing. I don't know what I was doing. This was about 10, 11 days ago now. Uh, it's about actually eight days down, like eight days ago now, and so. But long story short, we end up, you know, about forty minutes away from home, twenty thirty minutes away from home, to be exact, twenty thirty, not forty minutes away from home, and we're at this restaurant, this fast food restaurant called Raising Canes. Okay, it's a little drive-through thing, drive-through, and Raising Canes is basically like Chick-fil-A with chicken tenders only. You know, not like chicken patties or anything like that. But they have a chicken tender sandwich. Raising Cane's is pretty good. Look them up if you wanna, if you want something nice to eat that you that you haven't eaten yet. Raising Cane's is pretty all right, pretty decent prices. We both get a meal that costs about eighteen dollars or sixteen if I get the tenders also. But anyway, we're Raising Cane's and it's pretty late at night. 
Okay, I would want to say it was about mm, 12-ish, 11, 12-ish a.m. at night. You know, going into the 14th. We still don't have the call sheet, but we're living life. We're not really worried about it. We figured if you're going to send out the call sheet late, you know, the call time for tomorrow where they have to be on set would be at an hour, like, you know, a decent hour. You know, everyone would be able to get sleep if you're sending it out late. Okay. So we're sitting there raising canes, and the hour's getting late. It's like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. It's getting pretty late at night. And around 2 a.m., uh, when we're sitting there eating our food or relaxing and watching, you know, we like to watch to catch a predator in the parking lot and do, do cool stuff like that. You know, they sent the call sheet. And right on the nose, you know, we were right about the time. The time was in the afternoon, about 1 p.m. for the following day. But there was a stipulation to it that kind of threw off our entire strategy of, you know, okay, we can be out and enjoy our time. And the thing that threw off our entire strategy was that we had to be up in the morning anyway because everyone that was coming to set had to get tested for COVID-19. But whereas most studio film studios probably have on-set on-site testing, we all had to go to the clinic in the morning when they first opened to beat the lines and get tested for coronavirus. Okay, and so we ended up rushing back home. I remember getting home at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. or something like that. It was probably about 3 a.m. And then uh, immediately just making a beeline to go to sleep. Now, normally, my sleep schedule is about, I go to sleep about 6 a.m., 5 a.m., wake up at 2 or 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Just because of coronavirus, I don't have anywhere to be. So my sleep schedule is kind of wonky. I watch Netflix all night and things like that. So we get home at 3 a.m. and I'm having trouble sleeping. I don't sleep till about 5 a.m., okay? And so we all have to get up at 7 a.m. So she wakes me up at 7 a.m. and raising canes was the only thing. These are the variables I'm talking about that add towards irritation. Every emotion in life is, is not just you mentally control yourself. There are variables that go into our emotions. And so I hadn't eaten much the day before. All I really had was that raising canes. It was like my first and last meal of that day, which I usually stay up through the night and snack and things like that, but we weren't allowed to. And so I wake up in the morning and already I'm starving. Wake up in the morning, we live in L.A., the, the air is made of dirt, so my throat's dry as well. My eyes are like kind of strained, like when you don't have sleep, so I'm sleepless. Essentially what I'm describing to you is that I wake up in the morning in a weird, irritated, grumpy type of mood, okay? Uh, and so it, it reminds me of those days, like back in the day, I used to be a wrestler uh, when I was in high school, and as a wrestler, one of the most like unforgiving moments is like when you would have to go to a tournament on the weekend okay so you would wake up on the weekend on like a saturday or something like that and you would have to wake up at like 4 a.m or 5 a.m because the tournament weigh-ins were like at six or something like that it would be pitch black middle of the maryland winter 20 degrees outside my parents would be mad that i woke had to wake them up you know we would go to the car the air you know air conditioner car if it didn't heat up yet it would be blowing freezing cold air and we got to go to this tournament in the middle of the night completely starved because you were cutting weight and weigh in like it was just completely ridiculous and i kind of felt like that this morning you know i got up I went outside got in the car it was oddly bright because i wasn't used to seeing sunlight for the last few months but it was oddly bright my eyes were straining and on the way there we were going to the downtown urgent care you know, I just kind of, you know, I was, I was in a bit of a foul mood. I'm not going to lie. And as we, as the day, you know, went on, you know, you would think it would get better. But, you know, the mood was, you know, further ex ex exasperated, ex exacerbated, you know. Because we got to this clinic in the city. And, uh, you know, they said it's free parking. We had to circle the building a few times to even find the parking. Okay. 
uh, added alongside that when we got to the building, we got there about 7.30 because the building opened at 8. We wanted to beat the lines. There was about 50 people outside of the building already. Irritated. Just irritating. You know. And so we go park the car. We get out. We go back to this line of 50 people. And by that point in time, you know how it is. Like, you're not mad, but you're, like, just making, like, snarky, snide comments here and there. You see yourself doing it. That's kind of what was going on. We were both kind of irritated. Like, you know, come on now. Like, this is just, like, ridiculous. You know, there were other situations that actually had had been boiling under the surface in the background that that occurred that led up to this irritation. But we were both making, like, smart, you know, smart little comments. You know, eight eight o'clock passed when the clinic was supposed to open, and guess what? The line of about fifty people was about a hundred people now, and it, it it still wasn't moving. Eight thirty comes around, the line's still not moving. You know, but oddly enough, as I had been irritated, like you know, it was a beautiful day, just like today. You know, and so the sun was coming up. It was about seven eight o'clock in the morning. You know what type of sunlight I'm talking about? Nice, beautiful, light yellow sunlight. You know, even though we were in the city and the city was kind of dirty and dingy and we were like a block from Skid Row and, you know, these buildings, like, you know, we were in a city, so it was a city vibe, but there were trees along the sidewalk, little palm trees, and it was light sunlight. It was, it, it was beautiful weather. It was like a tinge, like, you know when, like, it's like winter or fall time, but it's just hot enough to where you can wear a t-shirt and you'll be perfectly fine. It's like that perfect balance, just like today, probably 65, 70-ish degrees, and so, and, you know, there were two emotions that were kind of, like, oscillating back and forth with me. When I would switch my attention to, like, the clinic, it would be a little bit irritated. But then, you know, we were switching. I switched my attention back to, like, the surroundings and, and life and these conversations that me and my girlfriend were having standing outside of this clinic. And it would be lighthearted. It would be better. It would be joyous. So we would oscillate between the two. And sometimes they would mesh in the middle. And, you know, smart comments would come out of that. And so in our conversation, in this weird blend of emotions, you know, I kind of got to, you know, kind of talking crap that I should have been talking. I started to start to talk about, you know, I, I, well, first up, I looked up and I realized, you know, uh, an anomaly across the street. Okay. I'm going to go on Google just to verify what it is that I'm saying uh, so that it makes sense when I share it to you. So I look up at the buildings along the other side of the street. I'm going to the Google Street View, by the way. If you're probably wondering, like, what is this dude doing? Talk to us. I'm going to talk to you, I promise. I'm going to the Google Street View, though. All right, here it is, Google Street View. Here's the urgent care downtown. I know you can't see it, but anyhow, you know, I'm just, just making a point here. So I'm looking at these businesses on the, top of the, on the other side of the street, you know, just out of pure curiosity. And I'm reading the titles on, this, on, on these buildings. Okay, this goes on and on as far as the eye can see. One of the businesses named e-cigarettes. One of the businesses named Vapor Exotica. You know, one of the businesses named Cali Culture, Smoke Shop District, Smoke World, Dabs, World Star Vape, Shisha A to Z, Smoking Accessories. Okay, you, you notice a pattern. What type of businesses that I'm am I describing right here? These businesses go on and on and on and on and on and on and on, right? What type of businesses are these? Mind you, they're literally smack dab straight together in a row. It's about 20, 30 of them. Obviously, by the titles, you could probably infer that these are businesses that smell, sells vapes, smoking accessories, tobacco, weed, things like that. Essentially, they're all the same business replicated over and over and over and over again. 
and so because of the weird move that I was in, I, I started to talk crap. You know, I'm looking at these buildings. I'm like, man, look at these buildings over here. You know, I bet you that at least 90% of these people, oh, I said all of them actually, uh, have been negatively impacted by the shut, you know, the lockdown orders from Gavin Newsom and that they won't bounce back. I guarantee that almost 100% of these businesses are shut down. You know, and I started to talk more about it. Like, you know, and I started to be a little mean, a little brutal towards people, you know, and I, I, I'm still, you know, analyzing how, how I feel about this statement, but I'm going to give it to you anyway because I'm going to be real with you. I said, you know, people like to talk crap about the lockdown orders, but while it's the government's fault that these businesses are shut down, we all share response, you know, us, you know, as owners of these businesses, share responsibility in them going bankrupt also. Okay. And so we began to uh, kind of discuss that idea. And uh, as time went on, as the morning dragged on, because we stayed there for quite a while, you know, we, we began to analyze the results of my prediction. And uh, as the morning rolled on, a few business owners came and they opened up their business. Okay. But the majority remained closed, verifying what it is that I was saying. But, you know, two, three, four of them, their business owners would come in and they opened up the business. And immediately after they opened up, they would come and they would stand on the sidewalk like they're soliciting, you know, uh, customers. Like, they're, they're you know, you, you've, we've experienced these businesses in a mall where, you know, there's someone in the kiosk and, you know, you can't walk past them because they're going to grab you and pull you in and try to sell you on the spot. You know, and so these business owners are outside of their business and it's kind of giving me a similar vibe i can't confirm that this is what was going on but it seems to me that you know businesses that are operating in this manner they 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 express a, a sort you know a sort of brand of of desperation like okay there's no demand for what it is that i'm selling and so i'm going to force the demand okay in a nutshell my prediction was verified that these businesses were struggling okay and we debated it for a little we talked a lot about it a little bit but you know as the day went on the proof was in the pudding so how was it i want to ask you that i was able to verify that these businesses are struggling these most of these businesses are closed obviously they're cash strapped but you know and they couldn't survive the pandemic but why are these businesses cash strapped and how is that predictable is the question i want to ask you what do you think about it You know, when I was standing there and I was looking at these businesses, the reason I was able to identify whether these businesses were cash-strapped or not is because the DNA of these businesses are expressed, you know, even just in their aesthetic, you know. I was able to identify the DNA of these businesses as small businesses, okay. These weren't startups forming to be corporations these were businesses that throughout the you know the entirety of their lifetime they would only make a finite amount of money they wouldn't be large and massive and and, and behemoths within the world okay there are two types of dna when it comes to a business you know and this is what i was analyzing by watching the street here and watching the pandemic at, at you know at its you know at, at large you know um there's a small business that's one of DNA, and then there's startup DNA, you know, big corporation DNA. And these two DNAs, when it comes to business, are two different things. 
And I was able to predict that these businesses were, you know, within the small business DNA branch based off one simple factor. And it all comes back full circle to the beginning of what I expressed in this podcast, to what I expressed in in the beginning of this podcast, rather. And that is, I was able to predict, not just from the aesthetic, but the aesthetic helped, that these businesses were small businesses and therefore cash-strapped because the differentiation between these two types of DNA is that small businesses ignore the principle of the power law. Okay? They ignore that idea. You know, essentially, what corporations do and startups that are are projected to be huge corporations do different from small businesses that allow them the cash flow and the magnitude to survive things like this pandemic is that they recognize that this world is based on a power law, as Peter Thiel calls it. They recognize that, you know, within every industry, there is a monopoly. And if a business is to be a big business, if it is is to have that true startup DNA, it has to aim to secure a monopoly, mostly by creating a new category of business altogether. Whereas what small business do is they completely ignore this, this idea. And this is expressed even in the factor of these names. These businesses are straight side by side towards their competition. They're literally shoulder to shoulder with their competition. It displays obvious ignorance of this idea, this power law. Okay? It, 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 it is, you know, because what uh, acceptance of the power law is, is that the acceptance of that, that, that I cannot create something that, for lack of better words, already exists. And you're already ignoring that power law if you're shoulder to shoulder with something that already exists is essentially what I'm saying. Okay, so I was able to predict that which businesses are going to make it and which not because small businesses don't even have the power to reach great magnitude and, and, and reap great cash reserves. Okay. I talked about this a little bit on my Instagram story. Hold on, I'm watching people in the streets here. Sorry, I paused it because I was being nosy. But uh, I posted this graphic on my story to demonstrate the difference between, you know, uh, big business and small business, for a lack of a better word. Okay. So it's this graphic that is on social media, and it says Tesla versus the world. Okay. It says Tesla has a market cap, which is the valuation of the company, which is worth of $659 billion. Okay. Comparing that to what this graphic compares that to a series of other companies Subaru, Nissan, Ford, Chrysler, Honda, BMW, General Motors, Mercedes, Volkswagen, Toyota. So, about you know, 10 different companies, just about. And so, Tesla has a valuation of $659 billion on its own, and these companies combined have a valuation of $668 billion slightly more than a solo Tesla okay but by comparison Tesla has a revenue of 28 billion dollars in these other companies they have a gross revenue of 1.3 trillion dollars so significantly more than Tesla you know and people like to say why does Tesla have such a high valuation when the you know 
when compared to these other companies, a greater, far greater valuation when all these other companies have a way, 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 way higher revenue. Even Toyota by itself has a way higher revenue than Tesla. And so the question comes to be, why is Tesla value so high? Is Tesla a bubble? And that question is simply answered by the fact that Tesla is a startup, or it was a startup, and it's going to be a large corporation. Tesla is not ignoring the idea of the power law. Okay, so what does that mean? Companies, people think it's uh, valued by revenue. Companies are evaluated by revenue. But really, companies are evaluated by how much, how much they pay, you know, how well they pay attention to the power law and abide by it. Okay, so essentially, what the power law states is that a, 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 a small collection of entities, a small minority, will always reap disproportionate results. Actually, I want to read you Peter Thiel's definition of the power law. Okay, he says we don't live in a normal world; we live under the power law. So what is his definition? Let's, let's, let's read this. He says, in 1906, economist Vilfredo Pareto discovered that be that became the Pareto principle or the 80-20 rule when he noticed that 20% of the people owned 80% of the land in Italy, a phenomenon that he found just as natural as the fact that 20% of the pea pods in his garden produced 80% of the peas. This extraordinary stark pattern in which a small few radically outstrip all rivals surround us in the natural and social world everywhere in the natural and social world the most destructive earthquakes are many times more powerful than all smaller earthquakes combined the biggest cities dwarf all mere towns put together and mon and monopoly by which he means extraordinarily and therefore market dominant businesses capture more value so let me read this again and monopoly businesses capture more value than millions of undifferentiated competitors more value than millions of undifferentiated competitors, okay? Wherever Einstein did or didn't say the power law, so named because exponential equations describe severely unequal distributions, is the law of the universe. It defines our surroundings so completely that we usually don't even see it. This chapter shows how the power law becomes visible when you follow the money in venture capital where investors try to profit from exponential growth in early stage companies. A few companies attain exponentially greater value than all others. We don't live in the normal world. We live under the power law. Essentially, what he's saying with that statement is that a minority of entities, maybe companies, reap way more benefits as a single entity when they monopolize an industry. Uh, way more value. They reap way more value and way more cash flow and all these things when compared to all small businesses in that same industry combined together. If you look at all industries in the world, there's one or maybe two in some instances, one real top dog. Like if you look at the search industry, there's Google and they own 70% of the search market. And there are all these small companies that are trying to compete with them. And these are small businesses that looked at the idea of this company and said, hey, we can copy this and make some money. So what Tesla essentially is, is Tesla is those startup, which, startup companies which have a potential to grow into big corporations. Okay. And they're different from small businesses in the fact that small businesses, they don't have that type of potential. And the reason they don't have that type of potential is because they don't aim to monopolize any marketplace. Okay, whereas a small business aims to capture 
revenue straight out of the gate. They they, they want to capture value because they're copying a, a a model that's already proven. Big businesses they they base their value on the future. They base their value on revenues that have yet to come. They base their values on how well they can monopolize an industry. They base their value on the power law. Okay, they base their value on becoming that one business to rule them all. Okay, and that's the difference between these two DNAs. Small business ignore or ignores the idea of the power law, whereas startups and that go on to become big businesses, they they live and die by that power law. Okay, they will not create a business unless it has a potential to be that business, the one business that monopolizes the industry because it's a new industry. Okay, with startups in both business, even small businesses are classified as startups. But I'm 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 differentiating them just for the sake of this idea that I'm trying to express. What they do is that instead of looking at a competitor and cloning that competitor, because they know via that method they can't monopolize an industry and they're ignoring the power law. What they do is create entirely new industries altogether. Okay, and they base their income, they base their value. Companies, the valuation of companies are based on their ability to do that. Okay, whereas small businesses base their value on, okay, can we get cash in the door right now? Essentially, you know, people who say that Tesla is a bubble, what they're basically saying is that, you know, and Tesla is, you know, inappropriately valued is, is that, in, you know, if you go back to the year 2000, I know we're sick of hearing this example, Blockbuster, you know, it has so much revenue. Blockbuster has crazy revenue. Okay. Let's say that in the year 2000, despite the fact that Blockbuster has crazy revenue, Netflix is valued higher. Okay. Um, would you say that Netflix was a bubble? Right. Blockbuster has higher revenue. Why is it value lower? Okay, it's because you have to realize that the monopoly that Blockbuster had is in a dying industry, just like the monopoly that car companies have is in a dying industry, whereas Netflix is growing. If you were to say that Netflix is a bubble and it's valued inappropriately, now look, it's the most valued film company or whatever you want to define it as on the planet. You would be wrong about its valuation because its valuation is strictly based on how well it's abiding by that power law. And as I was stating before, small businesses, they completely ignore that power law. What small businesses do that's different from, you know, that shows their ignorance to the power law is that they go into markets where they can, where there's a lot of competition because there are proven models that work. Like, let's say you see a hair salon making money, so you try to make a hair salon. Okay. What small businesses do is they want to get to the revenue immediately. They want to get to the cash immediately. And because of that, they lose out on all potential future revenues because they enter industries that are proven, that already have category kings, that already have monopolies that they can't break into. Okay, whereas startups, they focus on how well they can monopolize the industry and get future revenues that don't yet exist. And so you'll see even from their focus in whether they abide by or ignore the power law, you'll see the their approaches to building their companies differ because small businesses focus on immediate revenue and not future revenue you know 
they can just go to a street corner and open up a business and make money immediately. It's in an industry that's already proven and everything about this industry is discovered. It's not growing, it's probably shrinking. You see, on the, you know, on the on the other side, you know, a startup that's aiming to be big like a Tesla, you know, a lot of these industries, because they're focused on future profits, they won't just go and try to market their business and get cash out the door. What they'll do is they'll sacrifice current income for future income and so they'll be unprofitable for a while and because of that their method differs and most of these businesses that become big businesses they go and they have to get venture capital because they're not profitable in the now because their profits are not based in the now and that's why you'll see companies like Tesla LinkedIn PayPal all these different companies you know not turn a profit for more than even a decade okay because their profits aren't here they're in the future and that's why investor capitals and venture capitalists will invest in these companies that aren't profitable because they realize their profits are reaped a long time into the future. Their profits are not now. Their profits are in the idea that they can monopolize something that hasn't even been created yet. Netflix, in the era that Netflix was presented in, streaming because of the lack of computers or in way more other factors wasn't even a viable option. But if you can see where the future is going, that computers will be everywhere and they'll be accessible to everyone and suddenly streaming makes sense and the profit for it you can see it's way out now is there any company right now that's adequately competing with Netflix no because they monopolized that vertical because that was their focus from the very jump you know the ways that you conduct your business whether you ignore the power law or you don't this is what you know the future of your business and its magnitude, its potential magnitude is strictly based on whether you can monopolize a field or a category or whether you can't. Okay, and if you can't, you're going to be serving in an industry that has a category king that is fat and, and fulfilled and you're going to be one of the smaller businesses in the industry that, you know, one of those just another business, just another cell phone, just another car manufacturer that are picking up on the scraps. You'll be like all these other businesses that are, you know, car companies that popped up and they're not valued very highly, despite the fact that they're making considerable amount of revenue. And the billionaires will be over at these electric car companies that, you know, planted their value in future operations. And that's why I can look at these businesses across the street and say, hmm, a lot of these businesses are probably failing during the pandemic because they don't have a monopoly on anything because their revenue their best days of revenue are right here right now and that's clearly demonstrated by the fact that they replicated the competition and which is which is evidenced by the fact that the competition is right next to them it's like 30 of the same exact business okay no one here has a monopoly on this idea no one here has future revenues that they're reaching for that others just don't see and because of that, they're limited in their opportunity and limited in their cash reserves. And when something like a pandemic comes along, they're crushed. You know, a lot of people say the economy is failing, going to fail because all these small businesses are going under. But I don't think a lot of people realize that even the economy is a power law. Most of the money that's moving in the world is moving because of big business. You could probably eliminate most, like 99% of small business, and it wouldn't make a difference. Because the power law applies to that vertical too. You know, big business, you know, 
a small minority will reap disproportionate results. So a small minority is responsible for all the movement of capital in the world. And every business that falls under that, all these mon pas that can disappear and you know, the 99% of results that are coming from that 1% will still be there. It'll still be going strong. As long as Target and Walmart and, and Apple is going on, we don't need anyone else. And so the objective, if you want to survive, you know, because it is our responsibility to survive as business owners, is to choose to be a Target or an Apple or a Tesla, the companies that will make it through pandemics because they base their set their value in the future and therefore they reap disproportionate results in terms of revenue and resource and magnitude and all those different things. The power law is extremely important. Okay. But I didn't make this podcast episode just to which is particularly why I stopped, you know, in my ghostwriting business already. I had a ghostwriting business was making a little bit of money and I stopped operating that ghostwriting business. And, and the power law is exactly why. I realized this business doesn't abide by the power law, and I don't want to be one of these small, cramped, just another ghostwriting business that's not making a lot of money. Okay, people say, oh, you can market your business and it'll become big. No, that's not how it works. You don't market your way to becoming a category king. You don't market your way to a monopoly. You move and create a new market to create a new mo- monopoly. Perfect example is Tesla. Tesla has zero dollars in marketing budget. Their marketing budget is zero. And on top of that, they don't even have a chief marketing executive, a chief marketing officer, you know, but they're a massive company despite. And why is that? Because marketing is not the vehicle that allows these businesses to become massive. It's the creation of something brand new. It's the creation of a new vertical. Because if you create a new vertical, you create a new industry, and you're the only one there, you own 100% share of that market. You understand where I'm going with this? And so... um, it's not the marketing. These small businesses can market, market, market as much as they want, but their DNA, you know, determines what they are. And their DNA is based off, are you ignoring the power law or are you not? And so all, you know, the magnitude of our operations and whether we can survive things like pandemics, whether we can be everywhere and reap the most revenue and be a unicorn is really based off this law. Are we monopolizing something? And so I popped into this podcast episode. Oh yeah, as I was saying, yeah, that's why I stopped right working in that ghostwriting business because it would, you know, it would have just had a small share of a big industry, not a monopoly over a big industry, you know. And so I moved to a different vertical where, you know, people say, oh, you're why, why are you choosing to be broke? Why are you why why are you instead of just going over here and getting the immediate cash flow from this ghostwriting? Why are you choosing to be broke right now and suffer and do you know and have a low credit score and and, and try to fight your way to the top? Uh, of a long, you know, of an opportunity that might not even go very well. It's because I can actually get cash flow immediately out of my ghostwriting business right now or out of a ghostwriting business right now and I can could, I could make money off of that. But I'm just working on an opportunity that doesn't have the capacity, you know, the capabilities to become massive. And so I'm basically digging my own ditch and when a pandemic hits it or something like that, it'll immediately wipe my business out because its future doesn't reward me very well. So I stopped going through that ghostwriting business in search of an opportunity that I can monopolize, in search of a category that I can monopolize. And so I wanted to say, like, a lot of people, you know, understand the power law very well. We discuss it in this podcast a lot. But, you know, just having that conversation with my girlfriend and talking about these businesses that were on the street got me thinking, like, how widespread is this idea or this theory of this power law? Okay. And it got me talking about, okay, okay. It kind of got me talking about, um, you know, relationships. 
you know, a lot of people, the way they run their relationship is, because uh, we were talking about the power law and then we kind of transition from that. A lot of what people, the way they run their relationship is they're with partners that to some capacity, they hate them. You know, is this something that you've seen or experienced? You're a partner that hates you or doesn't want to beat with you or they're underwhelmed by you. You know, they don't really like you too much. Power law is, 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 is all encompassing. You know, you might say, oh, I do everything. I do everything for this person. They, they, they continue to complain. I do this, this and there. I, I take out the trash. I do the laundry. I go to work. I pay the rent. I take care of the kids. Why does this person love me and respect me? Why, 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 why? I, t- yeah, I, go, I go out on the dates. You do a bunch of things for this person. They don't love you or respect you, right? Take my advice. Take my part of it. I'm broke. I don't even have a bank account. Okay. I treat my girlfriend very, very well. Very, very well. You know, uh, because she deserves the world. She deserves everything. She's the most fantastic person I've ever met. You know, and I don't think that will ever change. You know, that's that's all me. You know, and you know, I love I love that woman. You know, beyond what I thought I was even capable of feeling. Do you understand? In our relationship has gone very very well but still I don't have a lot of money and so the things that other people do in their relationships they probably do I do I do all things a considerable amount but other people because they have more opportunity more money and more wealth like Elon Musk him and his his two ex-wife said he divorced he probably does a lot more for them because he has the ability to than I do Right or he does does the things that I do a lot more frequently. People who have jobs they do the things that I do a lot more frequently. Okay, and still they run into these issues. They're like, why is this person complaining? Why does this person love me? Well, the fact of the matter is because you're ignoring the power law. Oh, you do all these things, sure, but have you yet identified the one thing that has the most equity over this person's thoughts and of this person's thoughts? What is the one idea or principle that's monopolizing this person that you're dealing with mine? Oh, I take out the trash. You do everything under sun. I understand. But it's like these small businesses. It's not about doing everything. It's about monopolizing the one thing or, or, or understanding the one thing that is the monopoly in doing that. What is the one thing that will get you most results? A small minority of actions will reap for you a disproportionate amount of results. You know, 20% of the, of the, of the pea, peas in his garden were responsible for 80% of the peas. So what is the one thing that you're missing, you know, that this person is asking for? What is the one core critical thing that this person is looking forward to, to have from you every single day? It's not about all these bunch of things that you do. That's why you're still getting complaining because you're doing a bunch of things, but you're not identifying the one thing. Okay, now I've never read the book, but I think it's a book called The One Thing by like Geoff Woods or something that is on this topic. Um, and maybe you should read it. The power law applies to everything. People talk about business, people talk about work-life balance. So I don't got a lot of work-life balance. You don't need a lot of work-life balance. You need to do one thing in each of these verticals and you're all right. It's like Jeff Bezos. He says he makes three decisions per day. What are the three precisions that three decisions precisions three decisions that move the needle the most? I'm running off three hours of sleep, so forgive me if I'm saying a little bit of slurred. 
What is the one thing that you can do as a relationship? What is the one thing that you can do? And it, it applies to everything in life. You know, a lot of people, the way they run their relationships, I've been looking at them, is that they go on a lot of dates and they do a lot of this, that, and the third, and they do a lot of da-da-da-da-da. They, they do a lot of things. They do a lot of stuff. They're very active within their relationships. Okay? And they reap the benefits of that here in the moment. But the benefits of that, you know, a good night or a good date are, are capped off and they have no longevity. And those relationships, they fizzle out or they end. You know, largely in my relationship, I do a lot of good, great stuff for, for, for the lady that I'm with because she's special. But there's not a huge focus on those things because I, I feel like I understand what it is that she requires of me. You know, a lot of people are great husbands and great wives, okay? But they're still an astronomically high divorce rate. And I feel like the astronomically high divorce rate is corresponding with the fact that there's an astro... You know, most divorces are for financial reasons. There are, there's an astronomical amount of people that are poor, okay? So whereas a lot of people do all these things in their you know, in their life, and they, they da da da, they take care of their spouse, and then they, 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 you know, they do the trash and the date night, and and all these cool different things, and they dress well and brush their teeth. They do all these things, you know. I feel like they're ignoring, you know, one of the more obvious principles, you know, uh, one of the more obvious monopolies that you know, you know, that 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 rules their partner's minds, and so. A lot of the times I may put aside, you know, dates or, or all these different things. I might put aside a lot of these things, which I don't put aside them. I, I do them, you know, at a well enough degree. But, you know, there's not an extreme focus on these things. I put aside a lot of these things to focus on one simple thing, which I'm a male. And I don't know if this applies to all males. I don't know if it's a women thing. I don't know. But. You know, in my personal experiences, this is one of the things that has been required of me and males within, you know, uh, within my lifetime. Um, well, not within my lifetime, within my um, particular unit, within my particular people that I know, essentially. Which is not to say this is representative of the entire world or what the world wants or what your partner wants. You never know. People are individuals. Okay, but people that I know, one of the things that you have to do is... is, is, is to focus on your future, focus on financial freedom and being, a, you know, a great provider to this person that you're with, even if they have it all, you know, care, to care about that person enough to become somebody, to become rich and to take care of these situations, you know, no matter how great of a whatever the hell you are in your relationship you know, as a guy, you know, in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases as a guy, you know, you can do everything under the sun, but maybe your partner wants of you somebody that wants to become somebody. And it's not about being somebody. Maybe it's about the pursuit of that and ambition. Do you understand what I mean? You want to do everything under the sun, but you don't want to be rich. You don't want to give them a certain quality of life. And you've been selfish about that. You want to do the easy things. Oh, I brush my hair, wear the outfit, go out on a date, get the gift, take out the trash, make the food. You want to do all these different things. But the one thing that you're not doing, like I said, 50% divorce rate. You know, 70% of Americans live check to check. Just do the math. It's basic. 
What is the one thing that has the monopoly over this person's thoughts? What is the one thing that they require of you? You know? And so, even if, let's say hypothetically, I wasn't doing the dates, I wasn't doing all these small minor things in the moment, my relationship would still go on because it's like these big businesses. I'm sacrificing profitability in the modern era for a longevity and a vision that's that has potential that's beautiful that can last and if a pandemic hits like an accident or something happens in a relationship or somebody's feelings get hurt or something happens we can actually make it through that because the long term vision is there you do all these small things but you don't do the one thing that matters let's say an accident happens you know most divorces are for financial reasons let's say you lose a little bit of money you go through a crisis financially it wipes you out because you're not doing the one thing that matters most. You know, so look at your life. You know, look at all the ways in which you try to exceed and excel and expand yourself. You know, and realize, man, there's only one answer. Now, in terms of the financial thing, I do want to talk about that. Because I don't know particularly if the answer is cash or financial freedom or being a provider or anything like that. I feel like, you know, that, you know, that's part of having a successful relationship. But I feel like that's just a symptom of an underlying principle. Okay? And the principle is that a rich life is a, you know, is a fun life. And so the principle underlying is that this person doesn't want riches or money. They want freedom and fun. And you can provide freedom and fun without having money or without being rich or any of these things. So you want to identify what is the thing that have monopoly over your thoughts and what is the core principle that's guiding it. Um, yeah. We live in a power law. And so you have to identify the monopolies or become the monopolies. Uh, however it applies, you know, you have to focus on the one the one answer that you've been looking for. You know? And that's pretty much all I have to say for this podcast episode. Um, this was a one that wasn't expected to be lengthy. But uh, here we are. So I don't really have much else to say about that. Um, I enjoy talking to you guys. Uh, I will see you later, I guess. It's Dallas, and it's the Grand Design Podcast. Talk to you soon.